the History Channel original podcast. History This Week, August 14th, 2023. I'm Sally Helm. Hey, everyone. So today's show is going to be a little different because this season of History This Week is at an end and the show is going to be winding down for a bit. Stay subscribed to the feed so you see whatever is coming next and also fill out our listener survey. The link is in this episode's description. But before all of that, we wanted to take this opportunity to give you, our listeners, a behind-the-scenes look at the people that make this series possible. We got as much of the team in one place as we could, brought our microphones, and talked everything history this week, like what we've learned and how we think about history. And then the mic is turned around on me to answer some questions. If you've listened to history this week at all the last three and a half years, you're not going to want to miss this. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, team, we are here together in a conference room. We're going to talk about the time we've had making this show, the three plus years that have been history this week. But first, I think we should do some introductions because I know who all of you are, but our listeners may not have heard all of you on the mic before. So let's let's do some names. I'm Emma Fredericks. I'm an associate producer on the show since season one. I'm Corinne Wallace. I'm a producer. Julia Press. I'm also a producer. I'm Jonah Buchanan. I'm an associate producer. I'm Hazel May. I'm an associate producer as of this past season. I'm Ben Dickstein, and I'm the senior producer. I'm Jim O'Grady. I'm the show's story editor. All right. I want to ask you guys some questions about your experience making the show and about what you've learned making the show. And let's start with kind of a big one, just throwing it out. What is the most surprising or striking thing that you feel like you've learned in producing these episodes? For me, I think it's the level at which the stories can be intertwined and how timelines can be warped in your head. So you can think that two things happened super far apart, but in reality, they happened very close together or that one predated the other. Like George Washington, he died before the discovery of dinosaur bones. So George Washington didn't know dinosaurs existed. Mm, Totally. And making a show that's kind of like a calendar like this, we're hopping around decade to decade or even century to century. And yeah, you do start to see sort of how things are happening in parallel. That makes me think of there are definitely characters that we've found popping up in several stories simultaneously or within, you know. I feel like this past season, we keep seeing Ralph Waldo Emerson (laughs) strutting through our History This Week episodes. (laughs) There was an example in the Grimaldi episode about the famous London clown. There was a pantomime that he was part of that was a vegetable man that came alive during the show. And Mary Shelley was at one of the performances. And some people think that might have been a source of inspiration when she wrote Frankenstein. And we had an episode with Cleopatra and Mark Anthony and Julius Caesar. And it's always struck me as interesting that we think of ancient Rome as this grand city of monuments. But at the time that Cleopatra traveled to Rome, 
with Julius Caesar at first, her city in Egypt, Alexandria, where she was queen, was magnificent and glittering and beautiful. And Rome was sort of a dumpy brick and wood capital that was just emerging then. It was not anything like what it would be in the future. I feel like especially in that time period, right, like the the time dilation that occurs from our perspective, what's like that famous fact that like Cleopatra lived closer to now than to the building of the Great Pyramids themselves, which we just view as sort of like a blanket ancient Egypt. Also with those characters specifically, it's you think about them as characters in a textbook, but when you really dive into the people themselves, especially when they're people like Anthony and Cleopatra and, you know, Julius Caesar, they have such personalities. They're really people. They're not just these like figureheads. I think it's also relevant, the kind of lives people were leading and who they were. It it really dictates how much information we're going to have. So one example that comes to mind is Blackbeard, where there's limited information and a lot of which that was overstated, but that was intentional on behalf of a lot of these pirates. It was important for them to have a scary reputation that preceded them on the seas. But also it comes up a lot with stories of women and people who it has not been valuable for a long time for these stories to be saved and shared. And so something we're always trying to do, I think, is highlight those. But there are challenges. Then also you have to think about even when there is a paper trail, who wrote it? Like sometimes newspapers report things falsely or in a biased way or a way that we wouldn't today. Mm -hmm. And we take that as fact. Yeah, I think in social movements, individuals whose impacts are sort of formative, it's not always linear how they are recorded. One story that I was going to pitch and then found out that there was already an episode about was the farm workers' strike in California, the Delano Grape strike. And um, Larry Itliong was like a you know, formative part of Cesar Chavez's direct action. And Cesar Chavez is very much a mainstream character in history. There are whole holidays and murals of him across the country, but Larry Leong is sort of a lesser known part of the how that movement was founded and created. Sally Hemings, I think, that came to mind with that. There's like no paper trail. And that was the whole thing in that episode, that there's there's nothing. So with Sally Hemings, there's no paper trail of her direct thoughts. There's none of her letters or it's hard to get a quote attributed to her. But there is a paper trail of her relatives and what they said and thought about her. There are legal documents. So there is a paper trail, Mm -hmm. but not the one we really want, Mm -hmm. which is her real thoughts. Mm -hmm. Similar thing with Ma Rainey, something that we were talking about in that episode is it's so valuable that we have her lyrics because we have so little of her recorded thoughts outside of her music. But the music is such a valuable resource in that way. And in the story of Mary Toft, the imposterous rabbit breeder, we actually have (laughs) (laughs) that everyone knows. And from the April Fool's episode, uh, we actually have the opposite where one of the reasons it's important is a fascinating, crazy story, but it's also really important as an account of what a woman's life was like at that time, which it's pretty rare. And we do have her thoughts because she was put on the stand and made to testify about what she had done pretending to give birth to rabbits. I mean, characters are at the center of so many of these episodes. In fact, it sometimes feels like we're trying to make kind of like a little audio movie with plot and a main character and drama and twists. I'm curious, do you guys feel like in your mind there are certain History This Weeks that already feel like movies to you or that you think should be movies? I think about this basically every time we produce an episode. I really liked the Mary Shelley story uh, as her as a 18-year-old writing uh, 
in Geneva, Switzerland, uh, in like a moody environment. So I would cast Mary Shelley as Elle Fanning. I would cast Percy as Timothy Chalamet, because he's hot right now, let's be honest. Uh, either Oscar Isaac or Pedro Pascal as Lord Byron, and then directed by Guillermo del Toro. Hazel, do you know there's a Mary Shelley movie starring Elle Fanning? No! <laughs> Wait, are you serious? Oh, I did not know that. I only know it from researching the episode. I had never heard it, of oh it. Oh, my God. All right. Well, I'm done with audio. I'm moving on. trying to prove she's meant to be a casting director. Yeah. We joked a lot about this, but I truly do think that Brownie Wise, the Tupperware queen, needs to be a major motion picture. It's simply on a silver platter. Like, I can see her on the big screen walking around with a block of plastic that she named Polly and proselytizing the wonders of Tupperware to everyone. One movie pitch I have, um, Bonnie and Clyde, kidding, uh, <laughs> is actually the ping pong diplomacy episode. I think I can see like Cameron Crowe directing it maybe and like having a really cool rock and roll soundtrack and getting it from both ping pong team sides. It would be really cool. Yeah. That made me think of another one, Anne Hodges, Alabama woman napping on her couch, struck by a meteorite, chaos ensues. And voiced by Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe as Meteorite? Oh, interesting. The movie I would pitch, and I don't have the cast as readily available as Hazel does. I'll I'll come back to an episode I produced in season one, which is probably the episode I still get the most comments about, which is the one about Beethoven. I think just the one dramatic scene of him conducting his Ninth Symphony while deaf, it really doesn't get much more cinematic than that could be a horror movie too. I don't exactly know what the in would be. He's kind of a miserable guy. So it would be a little hard to tell a story. Maybe in like a Ari Aster kind of way you could do it. Well, that's also, I feel like part of the challenge of making this show is boiling down characters into anecdotes or like pithy two-line descriptions. And people obviously are much more complicated than that. But we reveal them through their decisions. We like to put them under pressure. We like them to have to make a decision, often with a moral dimension. And that helps really reveal a lot about them. Yeah, I mean, totally. I think when we're looking at these characters, it's so common to feel like no one's a simple hero or a simple villain. And I mean, obviously, no one's a villain to themselves. I don't know, do people have thoughts on kind of that question, creating complex characters or realizing that people are more complex than you thought? Yeah, that I feel like that was the heart of the Axis Sally episode. This American woman moves to Berlin as the Nazis are coming to power and ends up becoming a Nazi propaganda radio anchor. And it's so hard to understand how someone could do this, particularly because she doesn't seem to be very politically motivated. But it's a really hard, it's a hard question. We didn't explain how it happened to her. We just showed that it happened step by step by step until this attractive young woman with aspirations to be an actress is, after all these steps, a leading voice of Nazi Germany broadcasting to American GIs and telling them that their wives and girlfriends are sleeping with someone else back home, just trying her best to demoralize people. And she's gone through this moral collapse, but we've showed it rather than sort of explained it. Yeah, I didn't come away from that episode thinking that she was equal parts good and bad or something, but it is, it's always a process of just remembering that they were real. I feel like that's also a theme throughout making these episodes is really getting it into your head. Like they did things for a reason. Sometimes they 
broke their leg and then that sent them on like an entire different journey in life. Or just by happenstance, they wandered into a different field of study and then they ended up making a breakthrough. It's a very fine line to walk, right? I feel like on the one hand, the characters we're talking about are a product of their environments. On the other hand, we also don't want to deprive them of the agency that they had in their stories, Right. So I think about who's obviously a very well-known figure, but Jackie Robinson, right? We did a Jackie Robinson episode about how he tried out for the Red Sox and it was a pretend tryout and they never intended on signing him. But the idea there being becoming the first black major league baseball player was not something that happened to him, which I think it's often portrayed as. And it happens a lot of our stories where I think, or in history often, where characters are presented as finding themselves somewhere versus deciding to be there. Yeah, there is agency. And I think that goes to Sally's point and something that came up in last week's episode about the undelivered speeches. People in real time were writing two drafts of a speech because they genuinely did not know how things would go. And things could have gone a different way or they could have chosen to give the other speech. It is such an important reminder that individuals shape history. They're just people making choices and things could have gone differently. And they're totally shaped by their time. Like, both are true, you know? Like, they also can't see out of where they are. And neither can we. I also feel like it's particularly fun when you talk to those people who have lived it themselves. The first episode that I worked on on this show was the 504 Mm sit-in. It was the longest occupation of a federal building in U.S. history at the time, fighting for equal access to public spaces for people regardless of ability. And I have this one memory of Dennis Billups, one of the activists, singing to me on our interview the chance that they would give, you know, sitting in the building. And that stands out in my memory is, I wish I could have been there. It's a very meaningful experience chatting with all of them. I would say for me, similarly, probably one of the more impactful moments working on this show was interviewing the children of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg. They didn't have the take that I expected them to have. You know, their parents were obviously executed for being spies for the Soviet Union in the 1950s. And they did believe that probably their father was guilty, but that their mother was not. So on the one hand, they were upset that history has bundled them together which is, I think, important in what we're doing, right? Because it shows, like, how does the story get told is just as important as what happened. Didn't they also say it's hard to be the children of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, but we'd rather be their children than the uncle that turned them in? Yes, that we'd rather be the children of our parents than the children of our uncle who betrayed them. Yeah, I mean, talking to people who participated in these stories firsthand can obviously be so powerful. And I want to ask, actually... What if we could do that ourselves? Like what moments that we have covered do you wish you could have been there to see? I always consider part of that question though is like my brain is also back then. You know what I mean? So I don't know any, like is part of that equation, do I not know any different? Or are you today visiting? Yeah. Are you, you're just going to observe one scene from one story. I'm imagining a magic treehouse situation. So I'm, I'm aware of TikTok and also, well, that's just that's just the barometer I'm using, but the, you know, and visiting Cleopatra. I would want to be in New York in 1835 during the Great Moon Hoax, which we covered in the April Fool's episode, a newspaper. They started running this piece over several days that presented the discoveries of a real astronomer who did not write this. They said that he had discovered plants on the moon and then flowers and lakes and rivers on the moon. And then finally, that there had been an entire living group of bat men creatures also living on the moon. 
it's kind of hard to know how much people believe this. We have evidence to think that like most people did, but I'm always trying to give people the benefit of the doubt of the information they had access to at the time when we're explaining how characters could do the things that they did. But I think it'd be really fun to see how that happened and the excitement and fervor that created. I would absolutely have believed it if I were there, (laughs) a thousand percent. I don't think there's any time in history that you could convince me to go back to. I'm very comfortable in my... 2023 world with my modern medicine and modern hygiene practices and safety protocols and I'm good. I always wanted to hang out with the uh, pop pirates people. That's not as much like witnessing history as just being like, hey, like I'd love to party on your boat with you. They were having such a raucous time. That was one of my favorite episodes to report, just getting to talk to all these real radicals, radical DJs aboard ships in international waters given the BBC a run for its money, broadcasting pop music. That was my answer too. And it's sort of because I think the idea of being on a boat is very romantic. But I think the reality of like what I would have to do to get on a boat today, like work on a boat, I don't think it really fits my personality. (laughs) But I could definitely get down with some like radio transmissions, uh, playing pop music, listening to the Beatles. I mean, in a way, working on and producing the show does let you, you know, you, you do. We do. We go back every week as we're making the episode and we do kind of live in that character's world, in that character's mind for a period of time. And I have loved that. I'm curious. Uh, last question for you guys. What are you going to miss about making the show? I think one of my favorite parts, uh, besides just working with the wonderful team, was reading old newspapers from the turn of the century where there would be like six headlines for no reason, absolutely no byline, a small blurb with unfamiliar words and very little information and an ad that says to buy low tar cigarettes. I know exactly what you're talking about, Hazel. It's like, yeah, the the three different headlines in a row, all of them like totally over the top. Yeah, Yeah. those old newspaper writers are, they're great. I think what I'm going to miss the most is the limitless... Uh, possibilities for these episodes and like just the opportunity to go back and to look at any corner of history that we wanted to. Um, I think it was just an adventure every week, every pitch session. When people ask me, do you like working for history? My answer is usually, well, it has its difficulties like any job. But when I think about what I do most of the time is I'm immersed in a story often I that I don't know much about. So I'm just constantly learning. I think we're all doing this and creating these episodes. We recently had an episode about the evolution of dolls and how that relates to this concept of childhood. You know, I knew nothing, nothing about this going in. And now I'm totally fascinated by this subject. That's something I'll miss. Well, lucky for us, history will always be there. The History This Week feed will be there for anyone who has not listened to... I mean, we've made a lot of episodes. Come on, a lot of people haven't heard all of them. So go back, listen to some of these. Um, We're going to miss bringing them to you. When we come back, we're going to flip roles and I will answer some questions from our senior producer, Ben. Stick around. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. And now, for this last part of the conversation, I'm going to hand the mic to Ben. He's going to ask me some questions. Well, I'm going to turn the mic back around on you, Sally, yes. I'm getting a taste of my own medicine. So you brought up before, how many episodes have we done? We've done... Oh my gosh. This is the 179th episode nice. of History This Week that we've done. How does that make you feel? Wow. Ugh, almost 200. I'm going to say almost 200 from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> did you, before you did number one, what did you think you were getting into? I don't know. I knew I was getting into a new show, so you inherently don't know what you're getting into. You've never heard it before. You're going to you're going to make it fresh. But I knew that I was getting into a show that was going to be about people's individual stories. And I feel like as we've all been discussing, that turned out to be really, really true, even more true than I probably knew at the time in that we got to talk to people who were still alive, which, you know, you kind of forget. Of course, there are going to be lots of important historical people who are still alive who you can talk to. And also that we got to draw out stories of long dead people from, you know, ancient sources. You do a lot on the show, obviously. It's your voice behind the mic, but also in the interviews themselves, just so everyone knows, we're doing interviews that are an hour, 90 minutes, two hours long. And those are cut down to probably what, you know, five minutes of tape in a given episode. Maybe if we think about it, like through the lens of how you conduct your interviews or how you talk to people who either are experts or eyewitnesses, has that approach changed at all for you? I think I've gotten better at knowing where the details lie and knowing that there usually are a lot of little details to uncover and that those are going to be so important to lay out in the episode. Like you always want the sort of weird human moment that set someone on the path that they went on or the like little quirky story about their sister that doesn't seem to fit that then ends up really being the thing to bring them to life. So I think I've gotten a better nose for those and also just a sense that those are everywhere. Like there's no story where there's not some delightful little pocket of details to find. Well, it's funny you bring up the tiny little details because I do remember when we did our History of Trivia episode where we interviewed Ken Jennings, I remember Sally Helm saying, I'm not a huge fan of trivia. Don't like trivia. Yeah. I don't like it. And trivia is nothing but little details. So I'm wondering how you negotiate <laughs> those two things in your head where you're like, well, I love these little details that everyone says, but mm, well, you don't know, like It's trivia. very simple. I don't love them in a competitive way. I just love, <laughs> <laughs> I love to just know them and share them and for us all to share them together, but I don't love to like pull them out to win a point, Ben. I no. always forget them right when it, right when it matters. <laughs> yes. um, is there a moment in the production or creation of the show, either in an interview or any part of the process, that you feel really defines or defined your experience working on History This Week? I guess there have been two moments recently that I feel like we're experts kind of speaking to the things we're talking about. One is Tawana Steptoe in the Ma Rainey episode. I thought it was so amazing to hear her talk about the way that we think of society as getting like 
just more and more open over time. But in fact, like the 1920s felt so much more open and kind of free-for-all and party-like and like things that we might think of as really modern. There were so many more of those in the 20s than there were in the 50s. So that was just a reminder from her that it's like, you know, you can't just draw any straight, unbroken lines anywhere, really. It's, you have to look, you have to look closer and not assume that things are just progressing in kind of the smooth way you would imagine. And the last episode before this one, I think Julia was bringing this up earlier, the idea of these undelivered speeches and people literally looking at like the moment when things could have changed and not knowing how it's going to unfold. I mean, there's so many episodes that I love too, just that I loved on that detail level. Like I loved the hieroglyphics episode about the Rosetta Stone, just like, oh my God, that, that stone was even made and found. How crazy. And they didn't have any idea how hieroglyphs like what they meant and how the language was even written and all the little twists and turns that went into that actually being the code being cracked. Again, now it seems like, well, of course the code was cracked, but it really almost wasn't. Like it was really hard to crack the code. Well, Sally, I just want to say it's been an absolute joy working on the show with you for the last three and a half years. And it's been a privilege. Oh, thank you so much, Ben. The privilege is mine. And you know what? This is coming to mind now. One thing that has changed for me in making the show over the years is I really honestly can say that I feel like I've started to feel the presence of the listeners of History This Week a lot more strongly as we've gone along because I know that you guys are out there. Like when we first started making the show, we had no idea who was going to listen or if anyone was. And you clearly did. You've written to us about where you're listening to the show And sometimes you're gardening and sometimes you're experiencing a tough medical moment and you're laid up in bed and you need a show to listen to. And sometimes you're trying to get your baby to fall asleep. And in fact, I actually got, I got two emails from two different moms saying that they um, play History This Week to get their baby to go to sleep, which the first one I was like, that's so cute. And the second one I was like, are we putting people to sleep out there? Like, is there something wrong? Um, but I'm so I'm so happy to have um, to have done that service for those various moms. I know it can be tough when when a baby won't go to sleep. So yeah, shout out to whoever's listening right now. I feel like I, yeah, even in this moment, I can feel that like there will be people listening to these words, and that has been such a pleasure and an honor. So thank you all. Thanks for listening to History This Week. Not just this episode, but all of them. For moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. If you want to get in touch, please shoot us an email at our email address, historythisweek at history.com, and stay subscribed to the feed for the latest History This Week updates. Like we mentioned at the top, please take the time to fill out our survey, which you can find at bit.ly slash htw2023. That's bit.ly slash htw2023. Special thanks to the amazing History This Week team for being in this episode. Our producers, Julia Press and Corinne Wallace. Our associate producers, Emma Fredericks, Hazel May, and Jonah Buchanan. Our story editor, Jim O'Grady. And our senior producer, Ben Dickstein. History This Week is also produced by Chloe Weiner, who sadly had to miss out on today's conversation. This episode was sound designed by Brian Flood. Our supervising producer is McKamey Lynn, and our executive producer is Jesse Katz. We've had a lot of people working on the show throughout the years, and we wanted to take some time to thank them all. Producers Julie Magruder, Morgan Givens, and Rebecca Nolan. 
story editors Jimmy Gutierrez, Jennifer Gorin, Cheryl Duvall, Roxandra Guidi, and Mary Knopf, and sound designers Dan Rosado, Chris Boniello, Corey Choi, Jonathan Siri Mose, and Bill Moss. And thank you finally to you, our listeners, for making all of this possible. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Copyright 2023, a Television Networks, LLC. All rights reserved.